start a, a series taking us through the book of Psalms. Yeah, I, I'm, I love the book of Psalms. It's the longest book in the Bible, but no, we're not going to do 150 of the Psalms. That, we're not going to go that far. Actually, early on, in our, let me tell you a little story about the early days of Christian Life Fellowship. Back in the day, um, we were trying to, like we do have Wednesday night small groups, but it seemed like every small group we started, something would happen to prevent that small group from completing its study. And I got so frustrated, and I remember going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what can, we, what can I do to try to establish a pattern in the minds of the people that come here that when we start something, we're going to finish it? I really believe that a key to living a Christian life is to persevere and finish what you start, right? Those who endure to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. All right, so anyway, I was really just praying, I was like, God, what can we do? What can I do to kind of set that pattern, set that tone for our fellowship? And Psalms dropped into my heart. And I'm not saying God spoke to me or anything, but Psalms. And we started a Wednesday night study that took us all the way from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, we did it every Wednesday night for nearly four years. How many of you were part of that? I remember Ed and Christine were part of it. Stacy, Elisa, I knew there were some of you still here that remembered that. It took us four years, and I could just see the people walk in, Psalms again? Yes, we're going to finish what we start. And, uh, but we're not going to do that in this series. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. I love the book of Psalms. How many of you read a psalm every day? It's just part of your devotional period. Good, keep doing that. The Psalms feed your soul like probably no other book in the Bible. The Psalms is without a doubt, in case some of you don't know anything about the Psalms, it's without a doubt the single greatest collection of songs, prayers, and poetry in the world. There's none other like it. Ancient Israel used the Psalms um, as their songbook when they came together publicly to worship the Lord or in their own private devotion time. They would take the Psalms and sing them It was a songbook. They were sung. They weren't just read. They were sung. And because they were songs to be sung, they penetrated the minds and and imaginations of God's people like no other book in the Bible. We don't know how many different men or women contributed to the Psalms, but we know they were all guided, inspired by the Holy Spirit to, 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 to write what they did. King David's certainly the best known. He wrote about 72 of the Psalms. Uh, But the Holy Spirit inspired other people as well to contribute. And I don't want to overlook those people. Solomon was one. Uh, Moses wrote some of the Psalms that we will read. Deborah, who was one of the judges, uh, she she wrote a Psalm or two. There were members of a priestly family. We only know them as the sons of Korah. They wrote some of the Psalms. And then there are other unknown People really don't know anything about them other than, they, other than that they were contemporary worship leaders along with David, uh, men who had names like Asaph and Heman, not He-Man, not Masters of the Universe, is that right, He-Man, Heman, anyway. And there are a number of uh, other Psalms we don't know who wrote them or in what context they were written. We just know that God chose to include them in this great collection of hymns and songs. So as we journey through the Psalms together, here's, one, here's some things we can expect. And if, you, if you're reading through the Psalms now, you know, you, you know a little bit about what I'm talking about. As we journey through these Psalms together, we're going to hear heartfelt passion. We're going to see raw emotion. 
We're going to hear earnest confession. We're going to hear desperate cries for help. There are going to be some joyful shouts in it, and there are probably even going to be some screams of anger in it. And that's really what I love about the Psalms. Because whatever you or I might be going through, there is a psalm that helps us identify with that and helps us express that to the Lord and removes the fear of expressing yourself honestly and earnestly to the Lord. We're going to see every height and depth of human experience. We're going to see humanity at its best and at its worst. But the best thing of all about going into the book of Psalms is this, we're going to see God. We are going to see God. We're going to see a pattern as we take this journey together, that no matter what the writer may be feeling or expressing, whether it's joy or sorrow, whether it's victory or shame, whether it's serenity or anger, we're always going to end up looking at God. Our focus will be on Him. Looking at God who is forever faithful to us, no matter how we're feeling, who is always loving towards us, no matter how angry or frustrated we might become at the plans and purposes that we find ourselves pursuing. We're going to find that he's always loving, always true. We're going, to, we're going to focus on God who's forever watching over us, even though sometimes we feel like he's so far away. We're going to see that he's always providing for us, even though we feel like we're living in lack right now. We're going to see that he's always reigning over us, even though it seems like the world may be getting the upper hand. We're going to see through these psalms that God, no, God's always in control. He's always reigning and ruling over us with grace, compassion, and strength, that he's for us and not against us. So we're not going to look at all the psalms, okay? We're not going to look at all the psalms. Here's the ones we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the psalms referenced by Jesus in the Gospels. We're going to look only at the Psalms referenced by Jesus in the Gospels. And it's obvious when you read the Gospels that the Psalms played a largely important role in Jesus' own spirituality. In the Psalms, Jesus quotes, I mean in the Gospels, Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. Jesus quotes the Psalms when he's being tempted. Jesus quotes the Psalms when he's teaching and preaching. Jesus quotes the Psalms when he's being tested by his critics and accusers. Jesus quotes the Psalms even when he's hanging on the cross and dying for our sins. You can tell that Jesus' life was steeped in the rich messages of the Psalms. I want you to think about it as, as we get started in this, in this series this morning. I want you to think about this. Jesus meditated on this book of the Bible more than any other. He meditated on this book, the Psalms, more than any other. He likely had memorized many of these psalms from the years he spent worshiping God in the synagogues as a boy and a, and a young man. The psalms taught Jesus about himself. I want you to think about this for just a minute. We're told in the scriptures that Jesus grew in stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus learned about himself as he sang these songs in corporate worship, and in his private devotional time. He learned about himself. He learned about his identity. He learned to understand his mission and what God was calling him, his father was calling him to do. 
He learned about the ethics of living a life that brought glory to God no matter the circumstances a person found themselves in. He learned about how to handle the emotions that would certainly come his way as he faced temptation and suffering. He even learned about the details of his suffering and what he was looking at as he prepared his life to die for us on the cross. Read Psalm 22, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. You read that psalm, go home and read that psalm today and, and think about this. Jesus sang that psalm to himself. It's prophetic, man. Not pathetic, it's prophetic. How amazing it is to me, and I hope it is to you as we study, to realize that Jesus would have sung and prayed his way through each of these psalms, understanding that each of these psalms spoke about him, spoke about who he was, is, spoke about what he would teach how he would respond to temptation and suffering, how he would answer his critics. I'm telling you, if you want to know Jesus better, you get into the Psalms. Would you like to become more intimately acquainted with Jesus? Let's get into the Psalms. We're going to open up the Psalms as the songbook of Jesus. Because before the Psalms were for us, they were for Jesus. And I pray as we go through them that they will become as influential in our lives as they were obviously influential in his. We're going to start with the very first psalm, okay? Now, Jesus does not quote this psalm in the Gospels. But this psalm certainly describes the effect that the psalms had on his life and the word of God had on his life. We're not told who wrote this psalm. We're not told uh, when it was written or the context by, by which it was written, but we do know this. It's at the very beginning, and it serves kind of as a, kind of as a preamble or a preface to the rest of the psalms. It, it forces us to look at what is influencing our life. What is shaping us? What, is, what, what are we listening to? What are we listening to? Who is influencing us to make us live the way we do, to make us make the choices that we make. Because the choices we make, of course, make us the person we become, right? So what's influencing your life? Psalm 1 makes it very clear. The message is completely unmistakable here. The quality of our lives depends on who we're listening to. The quality of our lives depends on who we're being influenced by. Jesus was influenced by the Word of God, especially the Psalms. I pray that the Psalms have a, the same effect on us. Let's read the Psalm together. We'll pray and get into the message and then share communion together. Blessed is the man. And when I hear that phrase, the man, the only man I can think of is Jesus here. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
Let's pray. Father, open up our hearts to the message you have for us today. Spirit of God, we give you the right to search us through and through. Search our hearts, search our minds, search our souls. Let this message penetrate the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts. Let this word be a seed planted in fertile ground today. Help us to become the people of God, the sons and the daughters of God that we have been created to be in Christ Jesus. Help us to honestly examine ourselves to see what the influences in our life really are. And help us today, Lord, to be guided, to be influenced by your word above everything else. We want to become a people that bring glory and honor to your name. We want to become people who are just like Jesus. Use this word and this journey through the book of Psalms. Use it to conform us to the image of Christ. Use it to draw out from us the very best that we can be for the glory of God. And we'll praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1 gives us a description of two very different kinds of people, the wicked and the righteous. Let me define what that means from, from a, a biblical perspective. The righteous person is simply one who lives a God-centered life. A righteous person is simply one who lives a God-centered life. A wicked person is one who lives a self-centered life. They're their own God. You're not the boss of me, Jesus. I do what I want. Now, and this is something I want to clear up as we get in, into this. When the Psalms talk about the wicked, it's not referring to murderers and rapists and dope dealers. That's not who the wicked are in terms of Scripture. The term wicked really means that the person makes little or no time for God in their life. It's talking about someone who ignores or neglects God. It's talking about someone who takes no consideration for the will and the ways of God, but instead chooses to live according to their own selfish desires and their own selfish plans. A wicked person is simply one who refuses or neglects to yield control of their life to God. They want to do it their way, not his. But in contrast to the wicked, that's, that's the problem. Okay, let me, let me just stop. Let me just editorialize a little bit. There are a lot of good people sitting in churches all over this country who think because they've gone to church, they're doing good. But as soon as they walk out the door, they go right back to their old lifestyle, doing what they want to do. Whether or not God approves of it or not, smiles upon it or not, whether it glorifies God or not, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're wicked. They're wicked. They may do all the right things from a religious point of view, but even the religious things they do, they're doing it for their own selfish reasons. You do realize people sometimes go to church just to create a social network for themselves to increase their business profile. Well, that's not a righteous way to go to church, is it? That's a wicked reason to go to church. In contrast to the wicked, Psalm 1 also talks about the righteous. A righteous person is a person who lives a God-centered life. That's a life that's focused on knowing and doing the will of God. 
Psalm 1 describes the God-centered life as a blessed life. Now, blessed is a wonderful word. Let me go ahead and define that real quickly as we get into it. You're going you're gonna to see the word blessed used several times as we go through these psalms. Blessed is a wonderful word. As a matter of fact, Jesus preached the most awesome sermon ever preached. Go read it for yourself, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And he begins it by saying, blessed. Let's get this through our minds. God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be blessed. That's his end game for us. What does blessed mean? Blessed means, some have, some have defined it as happy. Well, that's okay. That's, that's a neat way to say it. But really, it's so much more than happy. I want to be happy, right? But I can find myself happy about all the wrong kind of things. Okay, so it's got to go deeper than that. Blessed carries a much deeper meaning than just happy. What it, what it really talks about is being deeply fulfilled. It talks about, it, it, blessed has to do with being fully satisfied, at rest, deeply content with your life. It talks about enjoying favor with God. So if you want to enjoy a deeply fulfilled, fully satisfied life, a life that's filled with the favor of God, Jesus called it life and life to the full, the psalmist is saying here, here's the secret. Here's how you do it. First, stay away from the influence of the ungodly. Stay away from the influence of the ungodly. Verse 1 says it this way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. I want you to notice the downward progression here that the psalmist talks about. The downward progression of sin. At first, we're just walking along with the ungodly. We're turning to them for advice on how to live life. We're going along with their suggestions, even though it might lead to moral or ethical compromise. We really don't care because we just want to go along with the flow. Matter, this is the way I, I heard it uh, a couple of weeks ago. I overheard Cindy interviewing one of the ladies who was applying to enter MSP. And Cindy asked the young lady the question, how did you start using drugs? The young woman responded, well, there was a guy I met. Come on. Every testimony will start, well, I started hanging out with this group of friends. Every time. Every time. It starts with some kind of, hey, man, I just found myself hanging out with him, hanging out with her, hanging out with them, walking along, walking along. And then we start standing with them. What that talks about is we begin to openly identify with them. These are my peeps, man. Whether or not we even realize it. We're first of all walking along, but suddenly we're standing in groups with them. Birds of a feather what? We find ourselves standing with them, openly identifying with them. And whether or not we even realize it, we begin to embrace their attitudes and behaviors as our own. This is who I am, man. These are my people. Go into any high school lunchroom. Jocks, 
emos, nerds, gamers. What? Cheerleader. Okay, we had to go there. My wife was a cheerleader. She was sweet. Come on, y'all. But you know how that works. Before you know it, you've openly identified with them. And whether you want to or not, you find yourself embracing their values and their priorities, their lifestyles. And then you begin sitting with them. You've been walking with them. Now you're standing with them. And then you start sitting with them. That means that you have comfortably started participating. It doesn't even bother you anymore. Remember when your conscience used to bother you? But suddenly, oh, I don't even... Hey, man, this is who I am. This is what I do. You just start comfortably participating in their ungodly behavior and lifestyle. You begin to share their sinful priorities and values. You even begin to argue that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Suddenly, wrong becomes right, and right becomes... Have you noticed how that's happened in your own life? Most of us have lived through this. You understand how this process works, but guess what? You'll be up against that process the rest of your life. There will always be a group coming along that seems to really have it all together. I think I'm just going to start walking with them for a while. Well, you better be careful that what that group is doing lines up with the word of God because that's the standard we live by. That's the standard we live by. Listen, this is a downward spiral. Walking, standing, sitting. It's a downward spiral that takes us further than we ever thought we'd go, faster than we ever thought we'd get there. It all begins when we expose ourselves to the casual influence of ungodly people and we end up colluding with them. We end up sharing in their guilt and their shame and their pain. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 puts it this way. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's happened in your life, and you're probably watching it happen right now in the life of someone you deeply love, and you can't stop them. You're like throwing up red flags. No, stop. And they're like, I don't care. It's a downward path that we cannot afford to travel. We have to stay away from the influence of the ungodly. We have to. We have to. Verse, go, verse 4 goes on to tell us why. It says, they, the wicked, are like chaff that the wind blows away. I don't know if you guys in America have ever seen what they have to do in other countries to harvest wheat, but there comes a time where the wheat has been harvested. This is the way it worked in India, anyway, when I was a kid. And they would put all the grain, with, along with the husks and the straw that they had harvested from the field, they would put all the grain on a big mat, and they would have ox, oxen walk on top of the grain and the, the husks and stuff, and as the, as the oxen uh, walked over it, it would cause the grain and the chaff, the husks, the trash attached to the, to the grain, fall off. And then ladies would come in and scoop it up in baskets and throw the grain up into the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and the grain would fall back. You guys ever seen anything like that? I used to watch them. Every harvesting season, it was fascinating to me to watch the process by which they would separate the grain, whether it was rice or wheat, from the chaff, from those husks and the straw, 
And I used to watch that. And, and that's what chaff is. Chaff is the small pieces of leaves and straw and seed coverings. Those who stay on the road with the ungodly are like chaff that the wind just blows away. When the grains of wheat are separated from the, chaff, from the chaff, the wheat is thrown into the air. The wind blows away the chaff while the grain falls to the ground below. Listen to me. Chaff is worthless. Chaff has no substance. Chaff has no purpose. Chaff has no form. It has no substance. It has no life. Chaff doesn't grow. It doesn't change. It doesn't produce fruit. Chaff is just so much dust in the wind. Come on, Kansas fans. Come on. I've done too many funerals. Where the lives of people who started with such awesome potential became nothing more than dust in the wind. Saddest funeral I've ever done. Rabbit trail, sorry. Can't, I can't forget it. Saddest funeral I've ever done was for a, a man who at one time owned a business, a good business, married, three kids, house, had it all. But for whatever reason, he decided to crawl inside a bottle, became an alcoholic, lost his family, lost his house, lost his business. The last 10 years of his life, he ended up living on a little 10-acre piece of property that he still owned. He bought a cabin and, and, and built a cabin right in the middle of that 10 acres. He was dead for three weeks before anybody ever noticed he was missing. I preached his funeral at the request of his sister because nobody else in town knew him. I didn't know him. She was looking for somebody to preach his funeral. The funeral was held at the, nursing, at the funeral home. There were five people there. Me, the funeral director, the man's two sisters, and the man himself in the coffin. That was it. Chaff in the wind. Chaff. A life that could have been lived with such purpose that could have left such a legacy, wasted, gone. I don't know the full story. I don't know who it was that he first met, some kind of casual acquaintance. He met this guy. He met this girl. I don't know who that was. I just know the end result. And I, I remember as I left that funeral home thinking to myself, my God, when I die, I want someone to miss me. I want my life to have mattered to somebody. His own kids didn't come to his funeral. It's a sad story, but yet we all know people who have lived just like that. And maybe some of you were on that road yourself until Christ arrested your heart and brought you into his kingdom. But I'm telling you, this will be an ongoing, an ongoing battle for you to make sure that you are staying away from the ungodly influence and staying with those who will build you up and encourage you and keep you moving along the path that leads you eventually to heaven and leaving behind you a legacy that glorifies the Lord. Come on. It's your choice to make. And we know choices have consequences, don't they? Choices have consequences. In contrast, verse 3 says that 
he, the righteous man, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, I don't know what you think about. When you think about trees, I know what I think about. When I think of trees, I think of deep roots. And I think of strength. And I think of stability. And I think of shade when it's really, really hot. And I think of kids swinging and playing under the, under the shade of a tree. I, I love trees. I love trees. When I think of trees, I think of fruitfulness. And I think of beauty. And I think of life. I love trees. There was this big magnolia tree that was just outside of my grandparents' house in Enterprise, Alabama on 122 Forest Avenue. I don't know if I ever took Gabe there or not. We may have. And I used to play under that tree. I used to have to rake all the leaves too. I don't want to talk about that. But I I used to play under that tree. My brother and I would get our little toy soldiers out. We play hide and seek, and that tree was base. Um, I remember sitting under that tree with my grandparents having these really wonderful conversations. A tree for me is a place of love, man. It's just a place of joy. It's a place of fulfillment. It's a place of security. That's what trees mean to me. I don't know what trees mean to you. But what this verse tells me is that if I will submit myself to the right influence, then my life will become like a tree. Stability, strength, hope, love and purpose, fruitful, strong. A tree planted by streams of water, as described in this verse, it won't suffer when everyone else is experiencing a dry season. It's planted by a stream, man. It's going to continue to get the nourishment it needs to grow strong. A tree planted by streams continues to grow. It continues to produce fruit. It continues to flourish. It continues to live and thrive and prosper. A tree planted by streams of water continues to be blessed, and it continues to be a blessing. Listen, choices have consequences. An old youth pastor saying goes like this. Show me your friends... I'll show you your future. That's what this psalm is all about. Show me who's influencing your life, what is imprinting itself upon your life, and I'll show you what your future is going to be like. Chaff or tree? It's your choice. You're the one that chooses who or what influences you. Is it going to be, well, I met this guy. Or is it going to be a, I don't know, a TV show, a book, a magazine? I don't know. Hollywood. I I think probably Hollywood has left an imprint on this culture more than any other. And we see the, (laughs) we see where that's taking us, don't we? Some of us may need to start by just turning off the TV set a little bit and finding another way to get something else into your mind and heart than Hollywood. I don't know. That's for you to make. I'm just saying your choices have consequences. Who's influencing your life? What kind of life do you want to live? A life that has no purpose, has no meaning, and when it's all said and done, it's just been lived like so much dust in the wind, or do you want to live like a tree? Deep, roots, stable, strong, fruitful. You get to determine what kind of life 
you want to live. That's a powerful choice, is it not? What kind of choice are you making today? I can't answer that for you. Who's influencing your life today? Choices have consequences. What's the secret of a blessed man? A blessed man, first of all, stays away from the influence of the ungodly. And second, here it is, a blessed man saturates himself with the influence of God. A blessed man saturates himself with the influence of God. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, write this down. What a stream of water is to a healthy tree, the word of God is to a blessed man. What, the, what a stream of water is to a healthy tree, the word of God is to a blessed man. The word of God feeds the blessed man. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word feeds that blessed man. The word sanctifies or purifies the blessed man. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. The word of God heals the wounded soul of the blessed man. See, the problem is we've been trying to heal our wounded souls with everything but the word of God. We've turned to pills and, and bottles and people. Can't heal. It's going to make the wounds worse when it's all said and done. Only the word of God can heal the wounds in your soul. Listen, the word heals the wounded soul of the blessed man. Psalm 107.20 says, he sent forth his word and healed them. I want you to know the Lord wants to bless you. You don't have to live with those wounds anymore. God will heal you up as you walk with him, as you stand in his presence, as you sit and listen to him as he feeds your soul. He's going to heal your soul. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. The word of God equips the blessed man. Some of you guys are trying to figure out, how can I be a mother? I've never been a mother before, but I find myself now having to be a mom to these two kids. I don't know what to do. Guess what? The Word of God will equip you to be that mother. The Word of God will equip you to be that husband. The Word of God will equip you to be that good employee. Some, you know, it's amazing to me. We have such a, such a diverse group in this, in this church, and I love each and every one of you. Some of you guys come in, and you have been hard workers all your life. I mean, you've been working since you were five years old, you know, paying taxes since you were eight. I don't know. And some of us come into this place, never worked a job in our life, and we're 37. It's like, what? <laughs> and that's okay, because guess what? God's going to work in your heart and equip you to be the best employee you've ever been, even though you got nothing on your resume. He's going to make you a person of character and integrity that your employers can trust to do the job when they give it to you to do. And some of you are... It's been amazing to watch what the Lord has done in some of your lives. You've come in here with no job experience, and suddenly they're making you the manager. Like in three months, I've been promoted to a manager. It's like, what? I wouldn't even know how to work the computer yet. But that's, what, that's the effect that God has on us. He doesn't just equip us to become his sons and daughters and saints who glorify. He wants us to, he wants us to glorify him in every area of our life. And he will equip us to do it because he wants us to be blessed. Don't settle for anything less than that. Let him make you what he wants you to be. 
And it's probably more than you could ever imagine or dream that he could do with you. The word of God equips the blessed man. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. I love this psalm. This psalm is like one of my favorites. It's really kind of interesting this week as I walked along and said, I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 1. Some of you would begin to quote it to me, because obviously it means a lot to you as well. Here's really the whole point. The person who makes the word of God the primary influence in his or her life and puts it into practice. See, they say knowledge is power. That's a lie. Applied knowledge is power. Putting what you know into practice is what makes the difference. Leadership guys, that right? A lot of us have a lot of stuff up here. It just hasn't worked its way down here yet. And I'm telling you, at whatever level you're at, if you will learn to put the word of God into practice, let it influence you absolutely. Saturate yourself in, in it. Immerse yourself in it. Let the people around you who, who follow God and who are going in the direction toward heaven that you want to go, hey, let them pour into your life. But if you never do what you're supposed to do or know to do, it ain't going to do you a bit of good. The person who makes the word of God the primary influence in his or her life and puts it into practice will be blessed. James uh, chapter 1 verse 25 says it, but whoever looks intently, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be, there's that word again, now you, let's say it with a little bit more, you know, than that, they will be do you understand God wants to bless you? He really does. He really wants to bless you. He wants to bless your personal life, your spiritual life. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your home. He wants to bless you. In every, he wants you to glorify his name. He wants to equip you to do every good work. But you will only make as much progress toward that blessed life as you are willing to embrace the influence of God in your life. I, I, I'm sorry, let me go ahead and put, my wife likes hot tea. And the other day she was drinking some hot tea and it came to me, this silly little illustration. I think our lives are a lot like this hot water And the word of God and God's influence is a lot like this little tea bag. A lot of us, many of us, we come to God, we dip our little big our big toe in him a little bit. Now, who would ever want that cup of tea right there? That's weak. And many of us are living that kind of life for Jesus, kind of weak. So let's, let's let the Lord influence us a little bit more. Well, that's nice. We're getting a little stronger. Are we even close to what we should be yet? All right, let's, let's, let's embrace more and more the influence of God in our life. Well, that's not bad. But still, who wants this cup of tea? There's no taste. It's just hot water, kind of colored hot water. Why don't we just steep ourselves in it? Just steep, and that's, I meditate on it day and night, is the way the psalmist put it. Meditate on it 
How strong do you want to be? Come on. How strong do you want to be? Choices have consequences. How strong do you want to be? It all depends on how willing you are to embrace the influence of God in your life, particularly the Word of God. Oh, it's getting, it's almost there now. Before too long, woman's going to come in here and snatch it up and drink it. <laughs> takes time, takes effort, energy. Again, let's get back. Who's influencing your life? Who right now is the primary influence in your life? What is it? TV? Hollywood? That guy? I met, I met that girl. A group of friends? What is the primary influence on your life? It's going to make all the difference in the world to you. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I can't answer that question, only you can. And you're going to answer that question with every choice you make. Every choice you make. The secret to a blessed life, stay away from the ungodly influences. Stay away from them. And embrace the influence of God in your life, particularly the Word of God. Come to know it inside and out. Meditate on it day and night. Let it be the source of advice and counsel that you need. Let it give you the insights into life and living. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And the greatest tool we have at our disposal is the Word of God. I encourage you, dive headlong into it. Come to know it. Come to understand it. Come, you're saying, right? I don't really get it when, when I start reading it. That's okay. That's okay. Guess what? I bet you as an adult wouldn't like to eat what babies are eating. You know, the little mush pea stuff? You wouldn't like that either. You wouldn't get it. Why am I eating this stuff? It's because you're making it healthy. Go ahead and eat it. Take it in. Let it nourish your soul. Let it have its influence and its impact on your life. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to go into communion in just a moment.